Welcome to another edition of the Green Bitch Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I'm Ken. I'm the Bitch. Back again for the second show in a row. If we had the, you know, the money, like a lot of the networks, I would be playing the wrestling shitty. Because, you know, we got Justin Marvel of this just in back again. Thank you. I wish I wasn't. <laughs> I really wish I wasn't. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir, for joining us once. Good to see you again, more. Justin. Uh, which is under better circumstances, especially considering the guy in that jersey there, but oh well. Well, I mean, this week football was back. The first week of the NFL season, it definitely was off to a rollicking start. And if this is what we have to look forward to for the next 18, six, eight, sorry, 18 weeks of the regular season, sign me up, pump that into my veins, please. <laughs> because this week, this week was so exciting. It was ridiculous. We had um, some games that were replays of... Um, playoff games from last season we had playoff teams matching up against each other in the first week of the year and of course there's no better place for us to start than last night's game so of course sorry apologies to the to the viewers again we're recording on tuesday so when i said last night i'm talking about monday night football when you see this on wednesday no you didn't miss a game on tuesday night so <laughs> Yes, the Monday night football game was the opening of the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. We had the Baltimore Ravens coming in to face the now Las Vegas Raiders in their season opener. And that game, that game was, was incredible. We had three ties in the game at 17 all. 24 all and 27 all and the only time as far as I remember that the Raiders actually led the game was at the very very end so fellas I think that's enough of an introduction enough of a preamble Justin again you are the guest here you, you, you're the second time being a guest so after this you're not a guest anymore so I'll give you first crack tell, tell me about the Ravens and the Raiders um so that was a part of my awful weekend because I think I like I think on picks I like went like seven or ten, some ridiculous number like that. Wow. And I think Jeff Saturday put it up best, the former Colt sender. They are asking Lamar Jackson too much, and not by design, but because of all these injuries. Uh, I think we talked about it on the last show. There is no J.K. Dobbins, no Justice Hill, no no Gus Edwards, no. So essentially, and without their the receiver they took in this draft, Lamar Jackson is their entire offense. And for a while it was working, but you saw those two those two those two fumbles lost by Lamar Jackson for me essentially decided this game. I know a lot of people should would say that you know I got a avoid St. Oakland. I know a lot of people say Las Vegas basically won the game, like, you know, on that first drive in overtime when they just, you know, got on the one-yard line. 
in the um, thing in the red zone. But a lot of people forget, again, the fumble in the fourth quarter helped set up that game tying drive later on. And again, even after the Raiders turned it over and over time, once again, Lamar Jackson's fumble put them in a position to win the game once more. They won it twice, and I guess, in two possessions in overtime. And well, you would say, well, Lamar Jackson has to learn to protect the football better. That's yes. The reality of the situation, as Jeff said, they put it, well, we all want Lamar Jackson to be a more accurate down-the-field passer. The reality of the situation is that offensive line is not put together. It's not structured to pass block. It is to run block. And that is what their strength is. And so now when you're down three running backs and you brought in your old uh, running back, Ken, and Latavius Murray, he's going to have to get up to speed. You essentially are asking Lamar Jackson to put the team on his back. And those two fumbles at the end that showed he's asked, you're asking him too much. And that is a game that, in my estimation, the Baltimore Ravens had no right losing. Interesting. AJ, what is your take on last night's fest? Well, Monday night's festivities. Well, you know, I, I had picked the Ravens. Um, we, I, I'll let you speak for yourself, but I picked the Ravens to win that game. But then <laughs> right before... It was like the the day before Thursday, whatever day it was that they had was a couple injuries. Um, that that practice that John Gooden, uh, not John Gooden, sorry, Harbaugh ended up calling off because it took two, it claimed two players. Uh, I, after hearing about that, I won't lie to you, like my my mind was beginning to change a little bit, but my my pick was already in. Um, so getting into the game now, like I. I actually genuinely was not surprised with the flow of the game because, and, and as based on, on some of the things that Justin just said, the, at this point, the Ravens are really asking Lamar to be the offense. They're asking Lamar Jackson to be the offense. They, they don't have a running back at this point that's up to speed, and that's what they predicate their offense on. I, I did mention to you um, in a previous episode that I do like the addition of Sammy Watkins, but Sammy Watkins is not going to be like a, a, a bonafide number one at this point. He's just like a... A veteran presence in the team, you know, he would still give you a few, a few catches here and there, um, and he did. He did. I, 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 if I remember, I cannot recall how many targets he actually had, but he did make um, one of the, the big throw, big catches last night, right? He did a little bit, but generally, the offense, their offense, did not look good. Apart from Lamar making a few plays of his own, it did not seem like like the offense was up to scratch. The Raiders are always going to be that kind of like team that will claw and not, you know, and, and you know, at, at least most, of, if I remember correctly, a, a, quite a number of their losses last season were in, well, like within in one possession, within one possession or something like that, right? So they're always going to be there in the boats. And the game started off real scrappy. It started off really scrappy. Um, that could have been nerves, you know, but just the way it ended and everything, like I, I, I was, I was actually doing some work and I had to stop. I was like, nah, this has to wait. This has to wait. Because just the way that game ended, man, it was, it was a classic. But uh, like to what Justin said, um, yeah, it, I think Lamar's been asked to do too much at this point. Um, I, was, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely was not surprised with the, the Raiders' victory in the end. I was kind of disappointed that my pick was wrong, obviously, but I actually wasn't surprised. And I think it was a really good win that they managed to eco the win. 
So I was watching that game and I was actually quite surprised to see how the game was progressing because it's one thing to, to know that the Raiders are going to be there or thereabouts offensively. They still have Darren Waller, who <clears throat> it seemed like if Derek Carr was planning to throw everything to him. And then... Certainly tried. Yeah, exactly. And then you had Henry Ruggs, who everybody anticipated coming into the game was going to be the new number one for the Raiders. And then he doesn't see a target until the third quarter. So there were lots of questions that I think we still don't quite have proper answers for with regards to the Raiders and their offense. But one thing that is not in question is that Derek Kerr is very comfortable with what is happening around him in Las Vegas and re- like again Waller is his main target now what happens around him now in terms of the other pass catchers that he has is still yet to be determined because we had I think he's either a rookie or a second round, second year player who got basically all of the catches in the fourth quarter which got them into position to kick the tying field goal to take it into overtime. A guy that, again, got no targets up until that point. So there are lots of questions that not just us, but others, all of the defensive coordinators now have to try to figure out with regards to the Raiders. What impressed me, though, was the Raiders' defense. The Raiders' defense, which was not very good last season and has not been very good for the entirety of John Gruden's tenure, actually looked good. They they were getting after Lamar. They were putting him under pressure. And as somebody said in, in, in one of our WhatsApp chats, the addition of Villanueva at the right tackle position, they said that right now he can't even block the sun out of his eyes. Yeah, he was, was That was me. Right. I couldn't remember who it was that said it. Was it was me. It was but me. It, I, when I saw that, I had it, it was the funniest thing because it was absolutely true. They were beating Villanueva like it sneered drum. coming. He was, he was getting beat like a kettle drum in a top band. He was just getting <laughs> cut every single time. So they have the Raider, the Ravens, they have some work to do to short that offensive line because clearly if you but, want to do passing stuff, you have to have protection. And that's what Jeff Saturday was alluding to, that this line isn't built to pass protect. Mm-hmm. It is built for putting their hands in the ground and getting up the field. And, and it was clear, I think, it was some stat, like 55% of Lamar's dropbacks came under pressure. A lot of these yards that we saw Lamar were not designed runs. These were, it is true. I have to get out of dodge because yeah. everything just broke down. This line is clearly not, like, like, like capable of pass blocking. This is, this line is for getting up the field and run blocking, which means that the Tavis Murray has to get up to speed quickly because this is no, there's no way that you can have Lamar drop back 30 to 40 times a game because you're not going to win any of those games. It is true. And it was, I was happy. Honestly, I was very happy to see Latavius Murray get into the end zone last night because I didn't really, I did not want him to be cut. I thought mm-hmm. he was still a very productive player for the Saints, but I understood why he was cut. And him getting cut allowed us to fill in some holes that we had on the back end. And the rookie that we have, um, Tony Jones Jr., he looked pretty good. But we'll talk about the Saints later. Let's not let's not steal 
One jump yeah. again. Yeah, let's not steal some time away from what we from the other stuff that we want to talk about. So, um, as we we mentioned, you know, there were how many games? Sixteen games this weekend. So we're gonna do a little thing that I want to call the um, the week one blitz. We are going to run through some of these games. So you guys, as we're going through them, you tell me who you believe was well. Ashley, let's start with these questions. So. I'll start with you, AJ. Who was the biggest winner this week? Um, I had a few. I, like, there are actually a few teams I want to mention, right? Mm-hmm. But let me try to be succinct, and I'll narrow it down to one. For me, the Arizona Cardinals. I, I'll, I'll leave the other options to you, but I'm going to say the Arizona Cardinals. Um, simply because of this, right? They were on the road. They held Derrick Henry to 58 yards on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Chandler Jones ensured that Ryan Tannehill is going to be having nightmares about him for the remainder of the season, <laughs> right? I, I mean, how is, is it was five sacks, right? It's five, right? Just to confirm. Yes, five sacks. In one game. I mean, we know Chandler Jones is a beast, but come on. Come on. And this is in Tennessee. Um, what else? It was, yeah, it's just, it's just the fact that they decimated these men at home. And then, because you know a lot of the the pundits and analysts and so on were talking about the fact that Tennessee with the addition of Quinn Torres aka Julio Jones are now going to be like a contender for the AFC and this is what happens to them in their first game to the point to the point where Mike Vrabel breaking down in post-game interviews and and cussing out players and things but I will talk about that later probably too the Arizona Cardinals Cardinals so far my biggest winners for this week that was an that was an immense win away from home in week one interesting no, Justin, do you agree that the Cardinals were the biggest winner this week? I would say AJ reminded me that they were huge winners. But if you just take the question at its literal sense, it has to be you, right, Ken? I mean, you had the biggest margin of victory. And no, to be quite honest, I think, yeah, your Saints were the biggest winner this week because a lot of us talking heads, for lack of a better word, you know, we're all in a, well, there's no Drew Brees and there's no Michael Thomas. There's no Jared Cook. There's no Emmanuel Sanders. Traycon Smith was hurt. And you have, an, I don't know, a question mark with Jameis Winston. And they answered all of that, all those questions. It sounds so weird for me to say this with the New Orleans Saints, but that was complimentary football. Like we've seen so often where one side, is either carrying the load. Like, in Drew Brees' time, it was the offense. And then towards the end, it was his defense. But you saw a great mesh. Like, I can't believe that what is solid, the, the first thing first, the Saints absolutely dominated both lines of scrimmage. And if you listen to my show enough or hear me talk, I am not huge on, you know, these sexy playmakers or whatever not. Football is played at the line of scrimmage. And if you win both lines of scrimmage, you are not going to lose football games. And that's exactly what happened with the Saints. Their offensive line completely blew our defensive line off the line of scrimmage. Um, like, Alvin Kamara was never seen get touched in the backfield. Like, it was like four or five yards before he was getting touched in that first half. Jameis Winston stuck to whatever script. It was just protecting football. Do not be careless. Do not make careless throws, protect the football, take what the defense gives you. I have another segment on Joe Barry for another time, but I'm going to 
wait to half the season before I launch my attacks on Joe Barry. And then the defense, they made us absolutely one dimensional and without having to blitz or rush more than them four or five. And that allowed them to steal it, you know, have so many people in the back end and play coverage. And if you follow Aaron Rodgers' career, there's nothing more than he hates than having a crowded defensive backfield. Like, like he'd rather you blitz him. He'd rather, you know, send the house at him so he could pick you apart in my my coverage. Mm-hmm. I thought, honestly, like, when all the doubters or the doubts were surrounding the seats, you know, after all that offseason, for them to come up with such a huge win, 38-3, to a statement win, a win within the conference that may potentially decide seating, I thought that the New Orleans Saints were clear, by far and away, the biggest winners in week one. Well, I have planned to get into the Saints a little bit later. But after you 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 set up this with your soliloquy so eloquently, this is why we had to get you back, Justin, because you were so you were so gung ho that your Packers were going to dominate my Saints. You said that you know the one good thing that we had, the one thing we had working in our favor was that this game was playing in Florida because Aaron doesn't like Florida. But guess what? I mean, this is the season for disruptions for the Saints, apparently, because we have the hurricane. We've been out from our homes now for the last two weeks. We're going to be out for at least the first four weeks of the, st- of the season. Now we have a situation with COVID. We have, they said, it's six coaches, one player, and somebody else that was supposedly positive for COVID, but everybody's vaccinated. So right now we're just, you know, we're just waiting for the, negatives to come and then they'll be back with the team but this game like the Saints we didn't know where we were going to play up until the Thursday before so it's not like you have to say we had any real home field advantage we went to we went to Florida and all of your green no, pockets you didn't even have home field advantage because exactly. there are two teams that travel extremely well would be my Packers and uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers I don't think any fan base travels better than those two teams. So I'm almost certain that two-thirds of that stadium would have been cheering for the Packers. I'm, I'm almost certain. But that, but that's exactly what I was coming to say. I was watching the game, and there were more green and gold in the stands than there were black and gold, that's for sure. And the crowd was keeping more noise when we were on offense than when we were on defense. So we had no home field advantage. But, you know, yes, but you see what happened? We went on a neutral venue. We took it to a neutral site. You didn't want to deal with the noise in the dome. You didn't have the dome. We were outside because that's another thing that they like to say. They say, we're a dome team, so therefore when we go outside, there's always be a problem. And guess what? When we went outside, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem. Like Shana said, it's not a problem because everything was gravy. Everything was good. Everything was working even better than I would have ever dreamed because as you made mention the when you look at what was happening in the trenches the Saints offensive line was doing whatever they wanted whatever they wanted Alvin Kamara was just running free 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 forevermore and then so Jameis is giving you like his best Drew Brees impression so he's you know he's getting the ball out he's doing what he has to do but he's not really pushing the ball down the field so everything is so it's uh, working relatively close to the, to the line of scrimmage. But then Jameis reminds you in the third quarter, 
This is why I am here. This is what the Saints office was missing all along for the last three years. Because Drew Brees, he would have had to take a run up and then throw the ball like a javelin to get it 40 yards down the field. But no, I'm just going to take a step and woof, throw this ball all the way down there. And it breaks out the last touchdown for the Saints. We have Jameis Winston, five touchdowns. Five touchdowns. It was incredible. I was... I was having so much fun, especially oh, no, watching my defense pitch the shutout and keep you out of the end zone the entire game. I When I saw the stat, because they said that last season, Aaron Rodgers threw five interceptions, and then he had two interceptions in three passes. I was like, yes, that is my defense. That is my Saints. I mean... I have some words to say about the other side, but again, I will never take away anything from the poem because, as I said, and the, the thing with Jameis for me was not even the five touchdowns. It was the zero interceptions. It was like the Saints played mistake-free complimentary football, and it sounds weird to say, like, this, this, and I think we've just reminded, or Ken's team reminded us that this is a team you cannot count out if you're going to play this type of football. I'm not telling you the Saints are going to have, be 35-point winners every single week. That's not going to happen. For sure not. But playing that brand of football where you're blowing people off of the offensive line, that like you're not getting touched two or three yards downfield, where you don't have to send blitzes to get home or to disrupt the opposing offensive line, you're not turning over the football, you're able to run the football well, you're not making mental miscues on either side of the football or on all three phases of the game, actually. This is a team, at least, I mean, it's over, I mean, this is still just week one, but this is a team clearly that is not going to beat itself once Jameis Winston is committed to playing mistake-free football. And as I said, the Saints were easily the biggest winners in the weekend. Yeah, definitely. And let's also give a shout-out just to Jameis himself. Because as you said, Jameis was under control he didn't try to do too much. He allowed the game to come to him. He didn't have a whole ton of passing yards, but five touchdowns tells the story. So that is the biggest winners for this week. Now we go to the biggest loser. Who should feel the worst today? AJ, we'll start with you on this one. The biggest loser is right. Um, again, a few names run through my mind, but... I feel like I need to get this one off my chest. You know who's the biggest losers? You know who are the biggest losers in week one? The Atlanta Falcons. This team is so, this team is so annoying and disgraceful. Like, they, they're just bordering on being an all... Well, they, they, they kind of are now an also run. But I have no... Like, what is, it, what is the Falcons game plan week in and week out? Does anyone actually know? Does anyone know the Falcons? The Falcons first... The Falcons defense has not been good... Is, is how, ma how many ever years now? The defense has not been good. Their very first pick, and this is something they've been doing, it seems, for the last couple of drafts. Their very first pick is an offensive weapon for Matt Ryan. They decided not to move on from Ma Matt Ryan. Cool. They didn't draft his, his successor either. So, you know, you have Matt Ryan who's deteriorating right before your eyes, but you're still trying to give him weapons to work with. Um, the defense isn't good. Um, um, they, they have absolutely no running game. I didn't watch the game, so I can't really comment on their offensive line. Uh, um, uh, how well they, they can dominate the, the line of scrimmage, essentially. I, I, I can't comment on that. But how do you 
you're not rebuilding, how do you come into the season and get washed out by a team who, like up to two weeks ago, didn't like the world had no idea who their who their starting quarterback was going to be. If if the head the new head coach, mind you, had any sort of inkling that that he was going to start um, the, the sophomore quarterback, like it, there were so many questions around the Eagles, and the Eagles looked so polished and ready and buttoned up for week one. And the Falcons were just an absolute mess once again at home, thirty-two to six. It, it, it's, it's beyond a joke now. I feel like they're, they're, they might not even be the biggest losers, but they are my biggest losers in week one. I, that You make a strong point. You made some strong points there with regards to the Falcons. The Falcons, as I said, the Falcons, the Falcons, like, we... we Every year. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I, I know we kind of did something to them in that 28 to 3, right? But, golly. It's like <laughs> they just have not recovered. The Falcons have not been good since that. That is that is very true. So, Justin, who is your biggest loser for this week? I hate to make it sound like you only watch one game all the time, <laughs> but like just Bucket by two, score, just by score alone, like thirty-eight to three, you lost by thirty-five points. That is the biggest margin of defeat. But when you look at the the everything that surrounded the game going into the game, you had the off-season drama that everyone knows by now. Then all these veteran players that I mentioned before from Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Darius Smith, Preston Smith, Robert Tunyon, all of them make it seem that this is their last season in Green Bay and are referencing the last dance. So everyone is looking at this team like, oh, this is Green Bay's last dance. And, you know, you come out, you hear Devontae Adams talk about he's not being around a hungrier group of guys uh, Matt LaFleur decides not to play a single one of them in the preseason with the hopes of keeping them fresh and not losing them for this supposed title run. And this is what you do. This is what you do. And this is not a team. Forget what the players have put on themselves. This is a team coming off of back-to-back NFC title game appearances. This is a team that led all the football in scoring, led it in touchdowns, in touchdown percentage, in red zone touchdowns, red zone percentage, in time of possession. Just look at the players that you had. I didn't hear it for anyone who had any of these players in their fantasy from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams to Aaron Jones. But you have <laughs> arguably, well, not arguably, you have a top three quarterback and a three-time MVP in Aaron Rodgers. You have the best receiver in football in Devontae Adams, a top 10 running back in Aaron Jones. The tight end that led all tight ends in touchdowns in Robert Tunyon. Uh, one of the better offensive lanes in the all of NFL. A head coach who has put his stamp on the offense where he led the league in scoring and time of possession. And you put up three points. On the flip side, as I mentioned, all the players who are no longer playing for the Saints or are injured, and they can list them again. Drew Brees is no longer there. Jared Cook is no longer there. Emmanuel Sanders is no longer there. Michael Thomas is out injured and now with COVID as well. Traycon Smith was hurt. So, I mean, me and my infinite wisdom knew going into this game, your game plan should be to stop at least one player. And that happens to be the jersey that Ken is wearing right now. Like if anything else, you should know. Locate, that one. locate 41 on the field no matter where he is. 
And in the first half, the Green Bay Packers could not even put a hand on him until five yards after the line of scrimmage. It was as unprofessional a performance I have ever seen from this unit. And I've been watching this team for since 1994. I do not think I have seen a more unprofessional performance than the one I saw on Sunday. It is clear the Green Bay Packers were not prepared. Both the players and particularly the coaching staff did not come prepared. And I mean by prepared, not meaning that they were not practicing. They did not game plan for the team that was in front of them. That is That much is clear. You did not come schematically to deal with the New Orleans Saints. This is the team with title aspirations and you come out and lay a 38-3 to conquer. Comfortably, easily, by far, in a way, the biggest loser for the entire weekend. Well, I mean, when you look at the point differential, I cannot, I cannot disagree. And I, I mean, it would be remiss of me to disagree when it's my sense that put the hurting on your boys. But, I mean... AJ, when you may mention the Falcons, I did not even think of the Falcons necessarily as the biggest losers because the main, for the main reason that nobody has any expectations for the Falcons whatsoever. Which is true, which is true. I just I just had to get that off my chest, though. The Falcons are disgusting. <laughs> yeah, so wait I mean, a minute, AJ. You beat them <laughs> after training 28-3 and still have the temerity, the balls to come up and say that they're disgusting. <laughs> like I said, right, like, I said <laughs> like I said, the reason is, right, being bad is one thing, but not having a plan while being bad is even worse. That that is my conniption with these. Like if 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 they were moving on from Matt Ryan and, and it was that they were in a transitional period, cool. I get that. But they're not doing that. So what exactly is the plan? That is my main that is my main issue with this organization at this point. So I'm actually differing from both of you with my biggest losers. Like again, I I did not anticipate and my Saints would have lost the game. So the fact that we won, regardless of the scoreline, it is still just one one bit. So it feels great. It feels it feels fantastic. However, I have two teams that I have tied for the biggest losers this week. And both of them are the biggest losers for the same reason. The first one is the Minnesota Vikings. The second one is that organization that you, AJ, your, your jersey that you have on there right now, the New England Patriots. No, both of these teams are not expected to be the best in their division. But the best teams in their division got knocked off this weekend. They had an opportunity to put down a marker and lay claim to the fact that, yes, we are going to be a force to be reckoned with in this division. Now, first, the Vikings. The Vikings are playing against the, one of the historically worst teams in the NFL forever. They're playing against the Bengals, who, let's give them their credit, they look a lot better this season than they have in seasons past. However, if you are the Vikings, you're supposed to go in there and beat them by two touchdowns. You're, you're supposed to be able to control the line of scrimmage. You're supposed to have a good defense because you have a defensive-minded head coach who likes to run the football. They ran the football, but it didn't do much else. And they allowed the Bengals, they had to come all the way down the field to kick a field goal just to get into overtime, and then they still lost. So the Vikings are definitely up there for the biggest loser. But then the Patriots... 
the Patriots we know all of the talk that has happened since the final cut day and all of the uncertainty that surrounds the Patriots organization especially around that offense but you are at home you are at home against the Dolphins you don't you don't beat the Dolphins at them but you don't lose to the Dolphins at home but somehow you decided that we're going to come out here and we're not going to be able to put up enough points against the Dolphins at home to, do, to where now our last player fumble then scuppers your last opportunity to try to pull your fat out of the fire. When you look at what happened with the Bills, the Bills went and they didn't play a good offensive game against the Steelers. The Steelers found a way to win that game. At least this gives you an opportunity to get a leg up on them in the standings. But now we have the Miami Dolphins as the leader of the AFC East. When but every- remember I told you, Ken, remember I told you, I dropped the Bills a peg back in the AFC standings because they did not address the two areas of concern. And guess what? It came back to bite them in the behind. Yep. You cannot beat the Steelers with that pass rush with TJ Watt. Dropping back 51 times. That is ludicrous. Yep. Absolute madness. It that was impossible. asking to you're asking to, uh, to, to, to lose. And they did not get better in terms of rushing the passer. They added um Rousseau in the in the draft, but that did not help any Big Ben look comfortable all game. The the again the Steelers played mistake-free football, but you are not going to beat anyone not able to run the football. And the funny thing is that the Buffalo Bills were actually getting some measure of success on the ground and they decided to go away for a bit. Mm-hmm. Dropping back 51 times is not a recipe for success. And I remember I told you that, Ken, this Buffalo Bills team that everyone is jumping on the bandwagon, this is a peg back, but we'll talk about the two teams in the AFC that I still have above them. Okay, no problem. So then, no, let's look at a team that lost but should feel encouraged by the manner in which they lost. So, Justin, I'll start with you. We know they say there are no moral victories in the NFL. However, this is, this is be one of 18. So, who should feel okay about what happened this week? So, it's funny enough, because you mentioned uh, AJ's Patriots as the biggest loser. And I, too, do not believe in moral victories, but... They're one of two teams, I think, that should take a moral victory simply because the Patriots are not known for turning over the football, pre-Cam Newton at least. And they were in striking distance of winning that game were it not for Damian Harris's untimely, unnecessary fumble. I honestly believe were it not for that fumble, we are talking about the AFC East leading Patriots. And why that should be a moral victory per se is that there were so many question marks around your ability to win these tough games throwing out a rookie at quarterback. And so you want a hot take here right now? I dropped it on my show on Monday night, and I'm coming here now. For all five rookie quarterbacks from the first round playing, all five scored touchdowns, if you all didn't realize. Yeah, all five actually Mm -hmm. scored. From what I saw, and this is weird, and I'm going to go for a huge overreaction, Matt Jones has the ability to have the best career of the five. He does not have the most talent by a mile. Like, obviously, you see all the other four with cannons for an arm. All of other, the other four are, are extremely mobile, can make plays with their feet. 
But if there's one thing the greatest quarterback of all time has taught me, which is Tom Brady, and everyone's estimation, I must believe, it is the intangibles that make you a great player at that position. The ability to read quickly, to read defenses, and to get the ball up quickly. And we saw that from Matt Jones. No mistakes, 28 of, sorry, 29 of 39 for 281, a touchdown and no interceptions. I think Bill Belichick, well, he's a guy who does not believe in moral victories, has to feel good with taking that, you know, question mark out of Alabama. I think we are talking a different scenario were it not for Damian Lewis's, or sorry, Damian Harris's untimely fumble. And believe it or not, how about them Cowboys? Like, were it not for Greg um, Zerline being the awful kicker that he is now for, for whatever reason, we're talking about one and all Dallas Cowboys. Like, they got, I want to say, what, four turnovers off the defending champs. Dak Prescott looked as good as, like, he didn't miss any time whatsoever. If you ask me who was the best player on the field for that entire game, i tell you Dak Prescott. The Dallas Cowboys had absolutely no right losing that game. If Greg Zerline does not miss the two um, point after attempts, if he doesn't shank that easy 30 whatever yarder, we are talking about the one and old Dallas Cowboys going into Tampa Bay into Raymond James Stadium defeating defending Super Bowl champs on ring night. Yeah, there are no moral victories, but I think the, pa the Patriots and the Cowboys have to feel good about their chances moving forward. So, AJ, who do you have as your um, moral victors this week? Well, Justin, first of all, I need to thank you because thanks for that uplifting diatribe um, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> about my Patriots because I couldn't say it. I'm... I'm I'm, I was extremely crestfallen. Damian Harris had, had been so consistent for the entire game. It was, it was really hard to watch that happen. Like, anyway, um, so thanks for that. Also, I just wanted to add, I like the Cowboys pick as well. And Demarcus Lawrence had a really good game on, on the defensive side of the football as well. No, my, my pick is going to surprise you. And I have to say no, because you're not going to hear me talk about this team for the remainder of the season. My moral victory is the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Yes, the Detroit Lions. And I'll tell you why. The Detroit Lions were down at, at halftime. They were down. Let's see. Is, this is 24 and 7. This is, what, 30, 32? 30, 24, 7, 31. Sorry, what am I saying? Mm. 31 to 10 at halftime. Uh, no, no. If, if you're looking at that score at halftime, you're thinking, all right, this is the same old Lions. Ain't no need to watch this game. No, we all, all three of us here, believe that these men downgraded at quarterback. We have very, we have very, we have a lot of question marks about their head coach and his kneecap biting self. You know, it, it, the, and we know that the, the, the Detroit Lions are the worst organization in the NFL since they let go Jim Caldwell, right? Yes. At the end of the game, the Detroit Lions had brought this game back to within essentially one possession. And it, they, they made it, they actually made it a contest. The Detroit Lions, and mind you, it's, it's not like they were playing necessarily a scrub team. They were playing the Niners, who were supposed to be like, the, 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 one of the teams that is ready to compete for the NFC and get back to the Super Bowl where they were just a couple of years ago and whatnot. Listen, I have to say these men, there's no... Ken, Justin Ken will tell you, I don't even like to discuss or broach topics that, that mention the Detroit Lions. I don't even get into long conversations about them because there's no need to. But this time... I, I will mean, tell I you, don't, to... don't turn on your 
your TV on Monday night then. Uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. After your game, I have to see your team play. It's, it's more so to watch your team play. But but I, I do think now that because of what I saw from the Lions in week one, they will be encouraged and they could put up a better fight. Mind you, they could still potentially go on 16. This is this is Detroit Lions we're talking about. But I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind if they made some of these games more exciting just the way they did in week one. I think more of victory-wise, I would have to say the Detroit Lions for week one. So, just like how your pick of the Lions is a surprise, because I would have never guessed that you would have gone with the Lions ever, especially, I mean, when you take into consideration the division that they're in. My pick might surprise you. Now, for the, for the viewers, we can let you behind the curtain in a second. We haven't talked about this. We haven't named these teams to each other. So, you're mm-hmm. seeing honest reactions right here right now so my team with the moral victory is the cleveland browns oh wait wait, what (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i was not expecting that whatsoever apparently go on go on go on so please i need to hear this so the cleveland browns they played the chiefs really really close in the playoffs last season as I mentioned in the opening, this was one of the playoff uh, rematches that we had in week one. And I expected that the Chiefs were going to come up and look like the Chiefs from the beginning of the game and put the Browns under pressure. We know that the Browns want to control the clock. They want to run the ball. Therefore, if you put the Browns behind the eight ball and they have no to chase the game, then they can't run the football. But the Chiefs didn't do that. Because the Browns didn't let them do that. The Browns were harassing Patrick Mahomes for the majority of the game, especially mm-hmm. in the first half. They were running the ball literally down their throat every possession. Nick Chubb was doing as he felt like. Kareem Hunt, going back to our head, was doing as he felt like. He, he seemed so in such a jovial mood. Like he was really enjoying it. Exactly. The Browns <laughs> were the Browns had that game exactly where they wanted it to be. Then they had a mistake with the punter who, as they said, even though he dropped the snap, if he had not panicked, he would have noticed he had enough time to just pick the ball up and just kick it down the field. However, he panicked and decided that he was going to try to run with it and he got stopped, which put the Chiefs in fantastic field position. You don't do those same things with Patrick Mahomes. Now, there was a bit of a discussion and you, AJ, you and I disagreed on the interception that Baker threw. I do not believe that Baker Mayfield went to throw that ball away because if he was going to throw that ball away, he would not have been scrambling before he threw the ball. He tried to make a play and threw it right into a man's hands. It was an extremely poor pass and it was it was emblematic of why I am not high on Baker Mayfield. But to his credit, up until that point, he had played a good game. The Browns, in looking at the entire situation and looking at everything that they've been able to accomplish thus far and what they've been, how close they've been able to play the Chiefs twice now, they should feel like if they have what it takes to beat the Chiefs. No, feeling that you have what it takes and actually accomplishing it is two different things. But when they now look at the rest of their division, the Steelers didn't look good at all. The Steelers still couldn't really run the football. Ben, while he wasn't getting that much pressure, wasn't really hitting his receivers, especially down the field. So the Steelers don't look good. 
the Ravens, they just had a crushing loss against the Raiders. And then the Cincinnati Bengals, well, yeah, they won the game against the Vikings, but it's still the Bengals. We, we don't expect great things from the Bengals. So they should know, looking at the landscape, they should tell themselves, okay, we have what it takes to not just deal with our division, but we know that we can run probably the best team or the best offense in the NFL and we can probably beat them. So they should be taking heart based on what happened this this week. I feel they should have, Ken, and I'll explain to you why. For everything you just said, it's reason they should have gone into our head and won that game. You control time possession as usual. That's how you beat the Chiefs. You run up to a 22 to 10 score. You kept, you know, Patrick Mahomes quiet for the most point or in the most part. Granted, there's nothing you can do um, when Patrick Mahomes is scrambling, doing those backyard plays. Like that touchdown that he just tossed up in a prayer for um, Tyreek Hill to adjust, come back to football. There's nothing you can, can do about that because that ball is dreadfully underthrown. Here is my reason why I do not feel that the Browns should feel good about their situation. That is a game you, you, you should not have lost. And once again, mental mistakes. You, you have to play situational football. You panic. These games against the Kansas City Chiefs and the rest of the contenders in your division are going to come down to one or two plays. Just like I mem- remember coming on the show and talking about Richard Higgins' fumble, that game is lost there. And again, this game is lost on two plays, not like five or six, two plays. And that's what it takes to beat the best teams. As you said, Ken, correctly, had the punter not panicked and realized he still had time to get off a punt and just didn't have to catch the ball and, and whatnot, you're basically, you don't know, you can't see the Chiefs may, may or may not have scored there. You don't give them that short field and Patrick Mahomes may not have, have converted. But, and here is a problem with the Cleveland Browns as much as I love how they're constructed. I told someone up to last week, I love how they're built to run the football, to control time of possession, to take the hands out of the ball out of the hands of Baker Mayfield. I like how their defense is being restructured. Um, I like their front seven. I love the additions of John Johnson. They have a corner. I keep forgetting a slot corner that they brought in. And they spent some draft capital on Jeremiah Wusukormora and, and Greg Newsom. The problem comes at the quarterback position. I told someone, if the team is going to relate or need Baker Mayfield to win it on a last possession late in the fourth quarter, they're going to lose. So sad, so dead. Because Baker Mayfield is not that dude. And you know that you're not that dude when the offensive game plan is to take the ball out of your hands. You are not that dude. Baker Mayfield is a capable player, but if you're going to rely on him to win you a game in the fourth quarter, the chances are you're going to lose it. You know, that now leads us right into the the last question in our blitz this week. The most concerning win. And I'm going to start this one because what you just said, Justin, takes me right to the same team that I have pick for my most concerning win this week and that's the San Francisco 49ers because as you said 
if the game plan is that we are not going to let our quarterback throw the ball, you know where we first saw You know where the first place we saw that? The San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. Leading up to that Super Bowl game against the Chiefs when they lost. Jimmy Garoppolo is still not that guy. And their defense, you would expect that their defense, because their defense is supposed to be strong, it's supposed to be solid, it's supposed to be built, you know, from the lane going back. But we know we've had some issues and some concerns with regards to their secondary. How do you lay 33 points to the Detroit Lions? When just over two minutes to go in the game, you are up by more than two touchdowns. What is that? You have to be concerned if you are the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I actually had another team pick for this, but I'll keep them because I'm sure they're going to come back up again later on in the season. But for sure, my pick for the most concerning victory or who should be the most concerned, even though they won, is the San Francisco 49ers. So, AJ, I'll give you first crack at the second crack at this one, though. All right, I, I don't know. I don't know if this might surprise you guys, but um, my most concerning win for Week One is actually the team that won last night, the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. It's the Las Vegas Raiders, and I'll tell you why. Because as much as I said I was not surprised that they were there in a box coming to the end of the game and 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 won. And mind and Ken, I don't know if you remember my video. I did say that this game was going to be tight, right? I just thought yes. the the Ravens would edge it, but I knew it was going to be a tight game. I called that much. Um, you know why it's the most concerning one for me? This is the same thing that the Ravens did last year. They, they won their first two games. Um, one of them was against the Saints. At some point in time during the season, the Ravens were... Um, the, Raiders. the Raiders were 6-3 and three and ended the season at 8-8. Eight and eight. So I'm not really buying all the dogged um, nature, the doggedness and the tenacity that they showed in week one until like, they have to show me everything through the entire course of the season. I love what I saw for an individual game but in terms of, uh, of them, uh, of it transitioning into them being like some sort of playoff team, I'm not buying it. I think it was a one-off game right now. I'm just not convinced that the Raiders are still that team because the, um, generally, like you mentioned that the defense looked better. They did. Chucky really seemed to have a game plan this time, especially on defense. Uh, uh, we mentioned how they got after Lamar. and they, like it was, it was really good. Offensively, you could see that Derek Carr was trying to force the ball down Darren Waller's throat because he, he clearly does not trust anyone else enough. So never mind that that speech at the end about how hard Zay Jones works and he works harder than anybody else on the team. We all know that you only trust Darren Waller. That, was, that much was evident, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they beat a, a basically an almost crippled Ravens team who are, are dealing with some serious injuries coming into week one. It's still all credit to them, but to me, that's the most concerning win because I'm not buying that the Raiders are a better organization at this point. Gotcha. I, I do not disagree. So, Justin, who, who is your most concerning win this week? AJ kind of stole it from me, so I'll piggyback quickly. It <laughs> took you... Sorry, sorry. It's, it's fine. It took you having the Ravens to miss their three best running backs to even make this a contest. And still, the Ravens should not have lost this game. They were up, what, 14 to nothing. Derek Carlin, absolutely atrocious in the first half, or at least the first quarter, especially against Blitz. They figured it out eventually. And still, look at your... your You don't go into overtime without Lamar Jackson fumbling the ball in the fourth quarter. And then you don't take the lead with them until Lamar Jackson 
fumbles again in overtime. So as much as we're talking about this defense is much improved, is it really? Because if Lamar Jackson protects the football, we are probably talking about a 31 to whatever defeat. I'm putting, I'm giving up 31 points is not a good defensive performance. Mm. Sure, they got after Lamar Jackson, but as Jeff Sade correctly said, this team's lane is not built to pass protect. They want to run the football and they couldn't be looking to run the football because they were down again Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, and Justice Hill. And clearly they don't think that Latavius Murray is up to speed. That is not a good win. And that interception in the end zone, well, the ball did go through Hunter Renfro's hand. My God, Derek Carr, you have been in the league long enough to know that is not a rocket pass. You have to put some sort of touch on that pass at the front of the end zone. No one is marking Hunter Renfro there. That is an atrocious pass. But the other team who should not feel good about their victory is the team that AJ played. Because last season, we all heard about how Miami is this playoff team that is ready to make some noise in the postseason. And it's still they get in then. And they should not have won that game had Damian Harris not fumbled the football with the go-ahead score right in front of the Patriots. You are playing, you're this veteran defense on the road against a rookie quarterback playing his very, very first start. And you had to eco a win on a Damian Harris fumble in deep in fourth quarter. Mm -mm. And that is arguably the second or third best team in your own division. You've not even played the Buffalo Bills. You've not played the Kansas City Chiefs. You've not played the Cleveland Browns. You've not played the, the, the Baltimore Ravens. And this is what you look like against a rookie quarterback. I am not convinced by either Miami or Las Vegas. And here's my next hot take. I do not expect to see either of them in the AFC playoffs. Well, I think that that take is harder for the Fort Snow in Miami than it is for the for the Raiders. Because <laughs> I don't think we... I didn't have them penciled in to make it to the playoffs for sure. Not the Raiders, no. no the Raiders, just like the Bengals... Just like the Lions, just like the Jets, they got to show it before anybody is putting them anywhere. So, yes, that I believe we can put a bow on the Blitz for this week. Now, we wanted to touch a bit, especially for my boy AJ, because, you know, we, we had, that's what he said last week when we talked about um, Rob Ninkovich talking about Cam. Now, this week, Cam had something to say himself. So, AJ, tell me what you think about what Cam said. <laughs> so, I, I'm kind of torn about his entire situation, about that entire, not, not, not his football situation. I, I should say more so this interview, right? Mm -hmm. um, I actually tried to watch it today. I couldn't finish it because... I kid you not, like his father was extremely irritating to watch. He would not let Cam finish a sentence and was trying to basically navigate him to go down a particular path. So it was a little hard to watch. But with regards to what Cam said specifically about the situation, to look at look at to look at it holistically, I think he he what he said, what he said, I guess it, he he handled it well enough. However, my my issue comes here where I think this, this is an entire spectacle that didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen. Like, yeah, he, he, 
look, looking at the fact that it did happen, what he said, I, I understand where he's coming from. However, this this could have we could have done without this. That's the honest truth. And and uh, to be fair to him, again, his Funky Fridays thing is not just he didn't just start this for is this is this wasn't like the decision LeBron James the decision just making like one little special to to address the situation right he actually has like a little production where he uses YouTube as his platform to address certain issues mind you they're usually non football issues it seems however given what he was going through at this point I understand that this this is the one thing he wanted to address but I still feel like this did not need to happen Ken. If and 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 going to the fact that he chose to do this, right? Even if you wanted to do, to do this, here's here's my here's my biggest issue, the biggest issue with it. Why didn't you do this with like accredited journalist or something like that? Why is it your father? Cam knew what he was doing by bringing his father on because it's not like Cam just reconnect with his father. He he alluded to the fact, you know, like Cam he grew up with his father. He knows his father very well. He even said during the interview. That when he got the news, he called his father from the facility. So his father, so he's well aware of how his father feels. And listening to this entire thing, you know that his father is, is more bitter about Cam being cut by the path than Cam himself is, right? So why do you have your father on this to, to create this entire uh, um, overblown and exaggerated spectacle and bring more attention to yourself? If you're trying to get a job in, in, in the NFL, a closed organization where you know the owners are going to be looking at you with a side eye because of all this, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of doing this? Is, 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 is it just, is just a, a fad now for everybody to speak their truth? Was it necessary? Honestly, I, I, real, I, I know y'all could kind of see I'm getting a little heated now because I really don't feel like any of this needed to happen. You're a professional footballer. You got cut by a team. All right, put your head down, do some work, and try and get another job. Why does it have to come to this? I, I don't even want to discuss specifically what he said because he, he, didn't, he didn't necessarily say anything wrong, Ken. But my biggest issue is the fact that they had to come to this and he had to bring his father on to basically be the, the fanboy and say that the one thing that every single camp fan around the world is thinking at this point and try to disparage your organization in a sense. Like saying stuff like like Bill name cam at no point in time did Bill name cam the number one starter for this season. What Bill said is that well because Cam was here last year, obviously well he he basically has he's like the front runner for the job. But every position is up for grab for is a competition. It's up for grabs during the preseason. How does that translate to Cam being the number one? And then we're going we're going to hear this him bringing his father on to say this in in, in some in some funky Friday spe, spe, spectacle. I, I, I'm just really annoyed by the fact that this had to happen. We could have done without it. Honest, honestly, Cam, we could have done without it. We could have done without this. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. Justin, what were your thoughts about Funky Friday? I'm with AJ. It didn't need to be said. It didn't need to be happened. It didn't need to happen. What Cam did say, the actual words, there were nothing wrong. Like he did say, what we've been hearing that the reason he was cut is because of his stature. The locker room would have followed him and you don't need a rookie having the aura or the presence of a former MVP standing, you know, directly behind him. You know, if you make mistakes, you know, at any second, you could be pulled, et cetera, et cetera. So I had no problem with him saying it, considering that we've heard that from inside reports. 
I'm with AJ. It didn't need to be said. But again, I remember on this same show, the initial problem was what Rob Ninkovic said. And it is not just what he said, but the context of what he said and where he's saying it from. It all goes back to race. And I'm almost certain Cam would not have brought this up had Rob not brought up this, and nothing that we can confirm or deny right now, that Matt Jones had to teach him the playbook. And well, a lot of people would think that's disparaging because it's a rookie teaching a vet. I think the more disparaging point is the racial aspect because we keep hearing or we keep being fed this point that black quarterbacks are only good with their athletic traits. That is, white quarterbacks are smarter, are more intelligent, and have a better understanding of the position. And I think that is the reason without Cam using the word race, I think that's the reason why Cam felt the need to push back against the narrative. I'm with you, AJ. He should not have. Uh, his, just but, let that but Jason, his dad did it. His dad, his dad didn't shy away from addressing the racial component of, of this entire thing, you know. Is that and mind you, and I, I agree with you as well. That, that component, I, I maybe in in some respect he wanted to address it because of that, but I don't feel like it, it needed to be all of this. That's my issue. Right. Even even, even you, if you do want to address certain things, like for me, like do it a little more with a little more tact. I, I, I don't feel like this was the right way to address this kind of situation, knowing that you still want to be a part of this league. Is but sorry, go ahead. No, 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 Adrian, you're right. Personally, you should just let go. You just have to hear certain comments and let them hit the ground. Because the unfortunate situation is there will be certain people who will continue to hold these beliefs. And no matter what we say, no matter what we do, that thinking will not change. As I said, like I agree with you, AJ. It should not be said. It should not have been addressed. But my issue is Rob Ninkovic actually saying. And that is my problem because... The comments come with weight simply because he is a former player within that locker room. So it will come over as what he is saying is undeniably true. And there is no one has come out to say this is facts. The unfortunate situation, Rob Nikovic being a former player and being on the worldwide, worldwide leader of sports on ESPN, making these claims further lends the narrative that white quarterbacks are more intelligent than black ones. So, I mean, you guys have very um, well elucidated on this this Funky Friday thing, so I really don't have much to add. Um, Cam wanted to say something. Cam wanted to go on camera with a whole cut in his hat and his lot sticking out like antlers. <laughs> Cam did what Cam... I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, Cam, Cam did what Cam wanted to do. And that he had he has taken up this matter where he is going to do what he wants to do. He's going to look the way he wants to look. And then you have to be able to back it up when you get on the field. And he's not been able to do that these last couple of seasons. So I don't know that's, what... And that's, sorry, that's another thing. Like, so it's kind of, I, I'm glad you, you made that point because I, I want to piggyback off of that real quick, right? Sorry, this is this, this is my segment. You know that. So just, just let me piggyback <laughs> off of that point, right? That, that's the thing, right? Uh, I think the biggest issue in all of this is, is as Justin uh, um, alluded to, the fact that Rob Ninkovich made those statements. But Cam is not shy 
uh, I'm not a shy person on social media. Like he doesn't shy away from social media. He addresses certain things there. I feel like even a simple tweet, like even laughing that off, laughing off the notion of that could have sufficed as opposed to it being this. Because what I, I think what people are overlooking is, a, is are, are these simple points, right? Bill Belichick has a certain system that he likes to play on his offense. Mac Jones is more suited to that system. Mac Jones came in and he showed that he is learning the playbook well enough and he has the, the tangible and intangible traits to fit into what Bill Belichick requires in his system. Cam does not. Cam was always an outlier to our offense. The offense has to look different to facilitate Cam. And among all of these points, Cam was not at his best last year when, when he was at us. And he hasn't been at his best for a little bit. I think the footballing aspect of all of this is being lost on a lot of people because of the whole racial component of it. I understand that there is a racial aspect to it, but let's, let, we could leave it at football and just leave, like, there is, a, there is an actual argument for the man not being on the team because of footballing reasons. It didn't need to be all of this. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree. So that's what he said. And that's what AJ had to say about what he said. <laughs> so, now, before we get out of here, fellas, we we have week two. Week two is upon us because tomorrow we have we have another game on the telly, and that's the battle of the NFC least with the Giants going to visit the Washington football team, both of these teams coming off of a loss. I will not bother you with that particular game, but... Please don't. We we have a full slate of games. We have 16 games on a game this week, but weeks don't start just yet. So, Justin, we will start with you. Which game, or games, two games, are you most looking forward to this week? I have a number of them, actually. Um, first, Raiders and Steelers, two teams who had no business winning their football game. Well, Steelers, yeah, they played mistake-free football, so let me not be uh, forced, um, unkind to them. But I want to see the Raiders-Steelers simply because, you know, we get to see how good or how bad the Raiders really are. I don't think Monday night's game is a fair indication. Let me look down here. Rams-Colts, um, I just want to see. Because I had the Colts uh, as a team to make some noise in the AFC, but depending on which Carson Wentz they can get, and that Rams defensive we've seen is no joke. Bills, Dolphins. I want to see how the Bills respond to adversity because I don't believe in what the Dolphins are trying to sell me. Cowboys, Chargers. I think that is going to be one heck of a game. Um, two quarterbacks playing extremely well. Two very talented rosters. And I want to see just how good these Chargers are if the AFC West is as good as they are purported to be. But of course, really, everyone wants to see if the Ravens can really finally actually make a game against Kansas City. They, of recent history, since Lamar Jackson has been drafted, they have not found a way to beat Kansas City. Far less not even being able to beat Kansas City. They have not even been competitive. At some point, now you're playing at home, you have to put up some level of resistance. And if you're going to make noise, I mean, since Lamar Jackson has been drafted in, I want to say, 2017 or 2018, the Ravens have made the playoffs all three seasons. So clearly their goal cannot be just making the playoffs. 
to get to the Super Bowl, you have to go through the team who has been in the AFC title game the last three seasons. That's a team that's coming to visit you. You are going to have to show the ability to beat this team, at least be competitive. So that's the game I'm most looking forward to this weekend. AJ, what about you? Which game tickles your fancy the most? So Justin mentioned a few, and some of those I had my eyes on, but in with respected time and not wanting to go over what he said, I'll just give you the two. Personally, for me, obviously, I need to see my game. I need to see us play the Jets. Um, we'll be at them uh, on the road. After losing at home in week one, and as you rightfully said, Ken, we only really put, not really, only really, we only put 16 points on the board. So regardless of whether or not the ball was fumbled and we had a chance to win, we put 16 points on the board in four quarters. That needs to be a lot better, right? So I need to see how we bounce back against the Jets because I really had us winning the game against the Dolphins. So now I'm not even going to, I still feel we can win this game, but I, I need to see a little bit more. So I'm, I'm going to be locked in on my game from, from kickoff to the, the, the final throw of the game or final run, whatever it is. And the second game I would say is the Titans at the Seahawks. Because I, for one, I, for one, um, I'm on record saying that I did not think that the Seahawks would be as good this year. Russ started off with a bang. That's, that part is, is not surprising to me. They seem very solid in week one. Um, very good win um, against the Colts. I'm really sorry I had Tyler um, Lockett on my bench. But uh, yeah, and then obviously with the visiting Titans, who now are supposed to be, pun intended, but the Titans in their division and have um, like their wide receiving core. Like they, they, none of their offense worked last week. So and I, I want to see how they recover this week because to go 0-2 is not going to be pretty for them in their division. So, uh, and, and obviously in the Seahawks division, to be two, uh, have a 2-0 lead, uh, that, well, not lead, but, you know, to be 2-0 at, at um, start of the season that way is going to be really good. So those two games specifically for me. Okay. So when I look through the, the schedule for this week, of course, I will be very interested in seeing what my Saints are able to do to follow up when we go on the road to Carolina, but it is the Panthers and we should beat the Panthers. So that's not one of the picks that I would make as the game that intrigues me the most. In that early window, it is the Rams versus the Colts because the Colts are supposed to have a good defense. The Rams looked really good playing on Sunday night. So we need to see if that they can follow that up. But of course, when you have Matthew Stafford, who is willing to throw the ball all over the park, anything is possible. And the Rams have to show better with their run game, definitely. So that is what I'm going to be paying attention to in that early window. In the, the late window, then, I mean, honestly, these games really don't set your, your heart racing. Mm -hmm. I guess the Cowboys and the Chargers will probably be the one that has the most intrigue because there is Justin Herbert who had some struggles early on playing against the Washington football team but for once the Chargers were on the right side of a close game and then you have the um, American team the Dallas Cowboys who have an elite offense and the defense is still very suspect so 
that game should put up a lot of points. It should be very entertaining. So we'll see what happens there. And then, well, I mean, neither of us, none of us picked the Monday night game because, I mean, the Packers, they have to do better than what they did. Enough about the Lions today. Yes. So the (laughs) Chiefs and the Ravens, for all the points that were made before, yes, that game is definitely the one that we will definitely have to keep an eye on for the prime time games on Sunday. So that now brings us to the end of another show. I believe that today was a good therapy session. We had the boys on the coach oh, yeah. for, <laughs> for, for various things. Justin was able to, to get off his frustrations with his Packers. AJ was able to talk about Cam and, and get that off his, his chest as well. Justin, as always, we are glad to have you. Anytime you're willing to be here. A we pleasure. Are. It was a pleasure, Jam. Hey, whenever you already, whenever you all need, you just give me a show. I trying to clear my Tuesday night schedule to make sure that I am on the show. But always, the pleasure is mine, really. Anytime you get a chat, a chat, sorry, to talk football, especially with Barbadian brothers, yeah, you don't turn that down. It is true. So remind the folks again where they can find you. Um, as I said before, we are not an audio-only podcast, so you're going to find us primarily on YouTube. That's hashtag this just in. Do not confuse us with the thieves over there at ESPN and Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman's new show, <laughs> This Just In. No, we actually debate proper stuff. So that is hashtag this just in on YouTube. We are live every Monday night at eight o'clock sharp, eight o'clock Eastern. And if you're not able to see us live, don't worry. The episode is up there on YouTube. And we post every single day on Instagram. Again, hashtag this just in. You can find us there. So YouTube, Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. If not, just go to YouTube and watch, re-watch the episode and on Instagram. All right. And for everyone, of course, you can find us, the Green Beige Podcast, on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube as well as everywhere but Apple Podcasts. That's I was have... just about to ask, has Apple not, not fixed y'all yet? No, that, that still has not changed. We still can't get onto the Apple platform. I probably have to send them an email and ask them what's, <laughs> what's up with that. But of course, you know, Green Beige, we have the Fantasy Spot, which is going to be aired tomorrow. And we are going to be looking this week at the, at the heroes, the goats of week one. And then we will look in ahead to week two. So, that brings us to the end of another show. As always, that is AJ. Again today, we are Justin from This Just In. I am Ken, and we will see you next time.